Holy Spirit, thank you that you're here. Pray you'd open up Revelation, speak to our hearts, change our lives, get us in the right posture to receive all that you are. Amen. So I just want to talk today about um, seeing the kingdom, and I'm somehow trying to tie this into the Gospel of John, but (laughs) the Gospel of John starts with the eternal Jesus, who was the Word who created all things, and uh, we find out he became human, he came full of grace, and uh, he had a forerunner named, who was a, a relative of his, some kind of cousin, John the Baptizer. And uh, so when he came, he came, John the beloved apostle who's writing this, the Holy Spirit, says he came full of grace and truth. And out of his fullness we all received and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father. And, that, and then he says nobody ever saw God, who's invisible, but the, the Son, his beloved Son, is the explanation. And Jesus later would tell Philip, he said, Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So there's something that Jesus comes as the ultimate. Hebrews, the letter to Hebrews starts out that God spoke in many ways through the prophets, through centuries of prophets. But in these final days, he's spoken to us in his Son. Jesus is the message So interestingly, his message is the message that's been from the beginning that God announced to the serpent. He said, the woman's gonna have a seed. You'll bruise his heel, but he'll crush your head. And so when he comes, he comes to reign. He comes to rule. He's Lord of all and uh, Lord of heaven and earth. And so... You know, uh, John saw him before he really knew him. He, he told the people who came to investigate John. They said, what are you doing? Why are you, you know, are you, you think you're Elijah? Are you the prophet that's like Moses? He said, nope, nope, nope. I'm just a voice crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. He says, I'm the one, the forerunner sent to prepare the way. And then he makes a statement. He said, there, and this is John 1, or not John one twenty nine, John one twenty five. he says, I baptize with water, but there is one among you who you do not know. He stands among you, and you do not know. You can't perceive it, but he'll come after me. I'm not even worthy to undo the strap on his sandals. And, and, it, and so, but John actually, he's talking about this, and it's all kind of vague to him until... One day, Jesus is walking in his sight, and he cries out, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Like, all this is, is new stuff. Like, this is breaking. God broke John's box. You know, like, he later he got offended at Jesus because he didn't do, he wasn't the kind of Messiah he thought he was announcing. But when he saw him, he said, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Very important. The Lamb of God was part of their culture. For, for millennia, they had been sacrificing a Passover lamb who would take away the sin of the nation for a year. And now he says, this is the Lamb of God who will take away the sin of the world. 
I don't even, I can't imagine he knew what he was saying, what that meant, what, what the cross would be, what the blood would be, that we were singing about the blood, the blood that not only took away the sin of the world, but that blood that continually cleanses us and bathes us in light. And, and uh, John would later write, if we walk in the light, sees in the light, we have, we have koinonia, we have common cause with each other and with him. We're, we're living in this reality and continually the blood of Jesus is cleansing us from not just a few sins, all sin. It's like your body can't live without blood and neither can the body of Christ live without blood. This is, you know, his blood was physical blood, but what it did was entirely spiritual. Physical blood doesn't take away sin. His spiritual life, the life is in the blood, removed the sin from the world so that God's love for the world could be revealed and he invades it with his love. And so all of this was, you know, it was messing with everybody's boxes at, at, at this time. And so a famous teacher, this is John chapter three, a famous teacher, he was Jesus called him the teacher of Israel. He was famous Pharisee, part of the Sanhedrin. His name was Nicodemus. He came to see Jesus at night and he wanted to have a theological discussion. He was very interested, he was drawn. He said, there's something happening here. And, and so he, he says, well, teacher, we know that no one could do the works that you do unless God was with him. And, and Jesus, rather than having a theological discussion, he shocks him. He makes this statement. This is his answer. <laughs> I don't know if he interrupted him. He said, truly, truly, amen, amen. You know, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, Nicodemus hadn't mentioned the kingdom of God, at least not in this discourse. And, and it's like, but Jesus knew what he was looking for. He says, you want to see the kingdom of God, but you can't see it. And, and so he makes a statement, which still kind of operating on a rational level, Nicodemus says, now wait a minute, wait a minute. Um, how can a man be born again when he's old? Like he's just saying, what is he saying? I, how, I want to, and Jesus is speaking spiritually. Verse five, truly, truly I say, unless one is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So two times he mentions the kingdom of God. Nicodemus never mentioned it, but he said, Nicodemus, what you're looking for is for God to rule and reign. And they, their expectation was the Messiah would come as a conquering king, get rid of all the other governments and set up the government of God in the earth. But the kingdom of God never comes the way we're expecting. But the kingdom of God, we know this from Isaiah, that of his government and peace, the increase of his government and peace will have no end. And so in some way, no matter how bad it looks, how crazy it is, how, how desperate the situation is around us, God's kingdom is coming. And in reality, I mean, it's really true. It's really true. The, the church has been growing since its beginning. Now, an individual congregation might not be growing. In a country, a church might not be growing. But around the world, the church of God, God has never stopped since he started doing what he promised to do. And he knows the end of the story and he's not worried. In fact, Psalm 2 tells us he, you know, it starts with the question, why do the nations rage, the heathen rage against the Lord and against his anointed? 
And, uh, and they say, we're going to tear it. We're going to get rid of all his, his standards, his restraints. His, and it says, God laughs. He's just laughing. He says, good try, guys. And he holds them in derision. Actually, he uses two different words there. Yahweh laughs and Adonai holds him in derision. It's almost like the father and the son, they're both laughing. And, uh, and God's solution is, I've set my king in Zion. And then he says, you're my son. Today I've begotten thee. Ask of me and I'll give you the nation. So he turns to his son. So there's a kingdom in heaven that is the issue that they're all looking for in the Messiah. And so Jesus is answering this. He says, you can't see unless you have this spiritual experience that you're born of water, which might have to do with natural birth, or maybe it has to do with the water baptism of repentance for John and the spirit, that there has to be a spiritual rebirth, not just a desire to repent, but it has to become a spiritual reality by new creation being installed. When we come to Christ in faith, something happens. He takes out our heart of stone, gives us a new heart. And he, and he writes his law in our heart. So now we have the internal witness of the Holy Spirit who changes our conscience if we'll listen. That's not right. That's not wrong. And it's all in the word. But it's, some, it's not just we need to be in the word, but even more, we need the word to be in us. You know, and it's not how much of the Bible we read, it's how much of the Bible reads us. It's how much it's speaking to us when we're making decisions, when we're in situations that we can't fake God out or fake ourselves out. Jesus, deliver us. Okay, from all evil. That's part of the prayer. He said, pray this. <laughs> Amen. And he does. So, um, but so this message that God is a king and he has a kingdom and he, it's, a, it's a government, it's a rule, it is from the beginning. That's what John the Baptist's message was, was repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. It's in Matthew 3. And when Jesus starts preaching, Matthew 4, verse 17, it says, from that time Jesus began to preach and he just took his cousin's sermon. Repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's like, this is what God, he says, change your mind. Change the way you see life, the way you think, the values, the things you think are right and wrong. Be transformed and recognize that God's government is all around you. Later in Luke, um, the Pharisees came to him to discuss how the kingdom would come. And, and I love it in the ESV, it says, the kingdom of heaven, King James says, doesn't come by observation. And in the ESV, it says, it doesn't come in a way that you can observe. Behold, it's in your midst. It's already here, but you can't see it. God, open our eyes. Let us see it. And so, but this is the message. And actually, after Jesus died, the Lamb of God was slain, took away the sins of the world. He's now the one worthy to open the seals and, and roll out the rest of God's plan for creation. He, when he spent 40 days among us, it says in Acts 1-3, he presented himself alive after his suffering with many proofs, in case they were not sure if they were seeing him or maybe it was just an appearance. I think that's why he ate fish, why he cooked breakfast, why, you know, he walked and talked, where he said, Thomas, go ahead, touch me, put your, <laughs> all it. But it says, 
And he was speaking. What did he speak about? What was his topic? Acts 1-3, speaking about the kingdom of God. This is also the preaching of, of the early church. When, when revival, persecution got the church out of Jerusalem into Judea, into Samaria, Philip preached to the Samaritans, and God did signs and wonders, filled the city with great joy. And it said he was, speak, he was preaching good news. He was evangelizing them with the kingdom of God that God has got a government. The Roman government's not the ultimate government. God's got the ultimate government and, he, and the name of Jesus Christ because at his name, every knee will bow, every disease will bow, every demon will bow, every stronghold will bow, every bad habit will bow, everything that has a grip on your life or on the family around you, it's all gonna bow at his name. So he's preaching the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. Thank you. That's why we pray in Jesus' name. Um, Paul, at the very end of the book of Acts, the last two verses of the book of Acts, he's in Rome, and uh, it says he lived there two whole years at his own expense. He welcomed all who came to him. Acts 28, 31, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching them about the Lord Jesus Christ. With all boldness and without hindrance. And you're commissioned to carry the message of this government of God and the name and the reality, the lordship of Jesus Christ. Just those words are amazing, Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, I mean, it's kind of the Trinity is hidden in that name. Uh, Lord, God for, forever, Jesus, the Son, Christ, the anointed one of the Holy Spirit. Anyway, we'll, we'll go on. But, so, um, but I want to get to this because it, it's kind of the point, and we're going to have some time to, to, to this, that when he sends us, he sends us with authority. So he visits us. We're in this time of visitation. We're in this time, like there's hunger here. It's in the singing. Man, we, could, we just could be singing and crying and giving altar calls endlessly. It wouldn't be bad at all. We'd have to take shifts, you know, and just because there's a hunger and there's a need because there's chaos and darkness and turmoil all around us, but inside you is light. Inside you is peace. Inside you is he gives you authority. He said, I, I have all authority in heaven and earth is given to me. After, <laughs> And after he rose from the dead, he said, now I've got it all. I took it. The, the devil no longer has authority. He acts like it. He's a big, you know, he's running a huge con job. But I'm telling you, the witches and warlocks are not in charge of the world. The, the, uh, the guys that meet at Davos every year and try to figure out how they're going to, you know, take away our food and give it, you know, just all. They're not in charge. God's laughing at them. It's always fallen apart. Well, what about at the very end? What about at the very end? The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and King. <laughs> Revelation chapter 11. It doesn't say the kingdoms of this world. They all got taken over by the Antichrist. It doesn't. It says it, it all gets taken over by Jesus. 
So it always comes that in times that feel hopeless, out of control, chaotic, and confusing, God visits. They that sat in darkness saw a great light. After the, the prophets hadn't spoken for 400 years, and God sent an angel to an old priest who had forgotten his prayers from when he was young. Maybe. I mean, that's one interpretation. But it, and then he came to a, a young teenage virgin girl who was betrothed named Mary. It's like nobody knew. I mean, a few people knew, but they didn't get what God was. He was ready to turn things upside down. And I'm telling you, he's turning them upside down today. And so what, what Jesus did in his lifetime, he's still doing. So Matthew 10, so he gives us authority to announce the kingdom. Let me read this to you, Matthew 10, 1. It says, he called his 12 disciples and gave them authority. He gave them authority, and he's given you authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. Now, we have the authority. The question is, do we have the power? Do we have, you know, in each moment, and so we pray for the sick. Does every sick person you pray for get healed? If you have a 100% healing record, then I want you to come see me because we'll have you open a school that no one's ever had before, which is how every single person you pray for gets healed. Now, there are meetings where every person gets healed, and we remember those, and they're like, like whoa. But it, it's, it's because we walk by faith, not by sight. It's not a program, it's a person. And it's like he's good, but we, he messes with our boxes. You know, we can declare, I believe everybody I lay hands on will be healed, and I say, I believe it too. But, it, but I'm doing this by faith. I'm not doing it in doubt, I'm doing it in faith. But I, my own experience is I haven't received 100% results. In fact, some of the best results I'm totally surprised by because I wasn't feeling it. And others, I, you know, I'm sure that they're healed, but they're not. I, do you understand how that works? It's like one of, one of the most significant healings I ever had as a young Christian, I was praying for this guy in a hospital who had his leg in traction, and, he, and the Jehovah's Witnesses, he had, he had him, and he was trying to be a good Jehovah's Witness and had led him to Jesus by avoiding the deity issue. You know, he wanted to argue about the Trinity. I said, hey, and I opened up a, a kingdom, whatever their little green Bible is called, the translation, and I read 1 John 5. It said, here's the record. God's given us eternal life, and the life is in his son. I said, now, without arguing over whether he's God or not, do you believe Jesus is the son of God? He said, yeah. I don't know if they, I mean, Mormons believe Jesus is the son of God and the devil's the son of God, which isn't true, but, they, but I, I, I said, good, well, do you have him? I don't know. Would you like to have him? Yes. Because his plan was as soon as he got out of the hospital, he was going to go door to door, knock on doors, and hope he'd be one of the 144,000, which was false doctrine. But, I, but I, you know, God will guide you through the false doctrine to the real issue. Just like Jesus said, Nicodemus, you can't see. So, so anyway, so he accepted Jesus. He's really happy. We came back to see him a couple days later. Meanwhile, the, the Jehovah's Witnesses had come and they told him we all, you know, we were idolaters and we worshiped, we were polytheists. We worshiped three gods and all this stuff. And he said, I said, look, 
Here's the reality. Jesus Christ is a healer. He is? Yeah. I said, did they talk to you about healing? No. Well, and so I read him some verses, and I prayed for him. And when I started praying for him, I had my eyes closed, and he, and he started moving. He's in traction in a cast. And, you know, it's not making sense to me, but I misinterpreted it. I thought, oh, he's really miserable. He thinks, you know, he thinks I'm a wacky guy. So I just figured, well, he's going to kick me out of this room as soon as I stop praying. So I started praying in tongues, and I'm just praying for a really long time, and I'm praying and praying. Finally, I, you know, I figure, okay, well, that's all I can do. I open my eyes, and he's staring at me, and he said, what did you do? I said, what do you mean? He said, well, as soon as you start praying, I felt all this heat and my bones started moving around while he's in traction in, in a cast in the hospital from a compound fracture from a motorcycle accident. He was 19 years old. And, uh, <laughs> and so I said, oh, Jesus healed you. You know, great. I said, okay, when the doctors come. So the doctors came and they, he said, look, I think, I, I think I'm uh, like mostly healed. And so they... They said, oh, you don't know what you're talking about. You're a 19-year-old kid. But they did an x-ray, and they said, we have no explanation for this. But your, your bone is, you know, it looks like it's pretty much all healed. So I said, we're going to keep you here for a few more days just to make sure we're not mistaken. He got out of the hospital. He came to our church. He gave his, I mean, he had given his life to the Lord, came to the church, and he, he became uh, a small group leader in our church. His name was Steve Latham. And he, last time I checked on him, I found him on Facebook. He was living in Oregon, still serving the Lord. But I'm just saying, when we don't think God is doing things, he is. Okay, so here we go. So you have authority, and he sent them out, and he, and he, and he said, proclaim as you go, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So just tell people, God's in charge. His government is here. He he said, my kingdom is at hand. Don't worry about what's going on in the world. He's right here. (laughs) And and then he tells them, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. Freely you've received, freely give. So don't turn it into a business. It's a gift from God. And so uh, here's the deal. Um, Heal the sick. God's healing the sick. Raise the dead. Raise the dead. We've had a few raise the dead miracles here. Some are notable and we've talked about. How about this national raise the dead miracle that was on national television in the NFL? That great idolatrous Sunday activity that (laughs) hundreds of thousands, perhaps millions are tuned into. And there, a player in Buffalo, New York, dies on the field and they stop and pray for him and he's still alive today. He came back to life. I mean, do you think the kingdom of God is at hand? God says, oh, I'm sorry, I can't go to the NFL game because they play on Sunday. Did it happen on Sunday? I'm sorry. Oh, it was Monday night. That's why God came. No, but (laughs) I mean, how many know he's, he's God seven days a week, 24 hours a day, every place in the universe. Okay. Heaven and places we don't even know exist. Okay. Now, but here's, what, here's the point. Verse 11, whatever town or village you enter, find out, and this word means like inquire, search. It, it could mean like scour, you know, like how, how if you're really looking for something, you're looking for God, where it, find out who is worthy in it, 
and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. If it's not worthy, let your peace return to you. Now, this is a troublesome translation for a few reasons. One is, first of all, the word worthy. Now, I know we were singing worthy, and when we say, God, you're worthy of it all, it's because he's perfect. But this word worthy means appropriate. It means the right environment. And it might not look worthy in terms of like it's perfect, right? Okay, so look for the place where God is about to show up, where people are open to this, and then greet the house. It's not saying, hello, house. It's the household. It's the family. It's the group. And let your peace be upon them. Actually, in Luke, it says, say, say peace, shalom, to it. And if, if they are sons of peace or children of peace, they'll receive it. NIV says the man of peace. Look for the man of peace. Literally, it's the son of peace, but it, the, it can be a, a man or a woman. Okay, so, and where that happens is where the kingdom of God is going to manifest. And there, there's authority, there's, there's the release, and so... We've had these great reports of God showing up in different places, but I want to, want to, I mean, Asbury, Denomination College, God's shown up there quite a few times. You know, was it perfect? No. Did, did the faculty handle it right? I have no idea. Only God knows. You know, we have our opinions, but our opinions may be very different than the purposes of God. Because they, they, they said, look, we can't keep doing this. We're going to, we're going to, stop it being open to the whole world, but we're gonna send people. Now, we'll see what happens. You know, that's, that's actually kind of sounds a bit like a, a, a biblical strategy, but just saying. Um, so this happens over and over again. Andy Bird was here a while back, and he told us this whole story of the preparation for this God-forsaken island, the Isle of Lewis, the Hebrides Islands off the northwest coast of Scotland, where nobody went to church. Nobody went to church. There were two old sisters, spinster sisters, who prayed for a move of God, Christine and Peggy Smith. God heard their prayers, and he sent a lightning rod there named Duncan Campbell. He, he was a, an evangelist. They felt like God was going to send them. He said no. They thought he was coming anyway, and they were right, and he came what he thought, he said, I'll come for 10 days. When they heard he wasn't coming, they, after they prayed, they said, no, he'll be here within a fortnight, which if you're an American, that means two weeks. Okay, so the, uh, and he came, and he came, he said, okay, I'm just here for 10 days. He stayed for two years, and basically every person in this entire island had their life transformed. And, uh, and so, the, uh, but, so let's go to 1968. The, the Jesus Revolution movie was out. Lonnie Frisbee uh, was a mixed up kid. I mean, and he was, he was our personal friend, so we know a lot of, of personal history with Lonnie. And, uh, but he was a mixed up kid. Orange County gets an art scholarship, goes to San Francisco. It's like 1967, and boom, Haight-Ashbury's happening. He gets mixed up in Haight-Ashbury with all the, all the psychedelic drugs and craziness, but he meets Jesus there. And he's on fire for Jesus. And, and, so, and he had a, a Pentecostal grandmother who had been praying for him his whole life. And so 
he, he gets a burden to go down to Southern California, so he would hitchhike, and people would pick him up, and he would witness to them. And uh, Chuck Smith, Chuck and Kay Smith, uh, were, Chuck was the pastor of this little country church, little church in Costa Mesa, Calvary Chapel. They called it Little Country Church, even though it was in the suburbs. But the, uh, the, the um, and Chuck Smith's daughter's boyfriend picks him up. In the movie, it was his daughter, but it just made the movie better, right? It's just like, they have to tell the story fast. But he brought him over, and Chuck and Kay Smith, Chuck had a real hard time with hippies. He didn't, the church was dying, it was dead. The people were, you know, he had a very negative view of, of the future, and God brought revival to him. Now, here's the thing. Chuck and Kay Smith were the, it was the, they were worthy, they were prepared. They didn't know they were prepared, but they were prepared. And they welcomed the hippies into their, their house, their church. It messed it all up, and then it grew explosively, and it released the Jesus movement. Now, Lonnie was definitely the, the lightning rod, but without that, that prepared household, it wouldn't have gone anywhere. And so it went somewhere, and it had a container to... To the end, and it went all over. It wasn't at all confined to Calvary Chapel. It was happening everywhere. Started happening all over Orange County, San Diego County, Los Angeles County, up and down, you know, up and down the, the coast of California. And then from there, it spread to the rest of the country. And of course, God was moving in other places simultaneously. But that thing became so massive that starting in 1968, that by 1972, Campus Crusades, which is now known as Crew, uh, said, hey, all these young kids are getting saved. Let's have a huge gathering. And so they got the, the Cotton Bowl in D Dallas, Texas, and uh, you know, got speaker, Billy Graham spoke, others spoke, and 75,000 young people came from all over America and some from outside of America for this week in Dallas of training for, to bring the gospel of the kingdom to every, fam every household in the United States by 1976. That was their goal. And then they had a, a, a further date for, for, but it's phenomenal. You know, so it just took this, this man of peace, this house that was prepared to say, okay, we're, we're going to, you know, this is going to really mess things up, but we're after this. We're after this. So come on in, mess everything up. And, and the harvest came, but it wasn't confined there. It spread all over the world. Today, I think there's over, there's about 2,000 Calvary chapels around the world, maybe more. Um, and, and then, so, but so now we go up to 1973, this young, this young on fire kid who was at Expo 72 named Hank Irwin gets commissioned to carry the gospel. So they're praying about where should go. He goes to Birmingham, Alabama, which in those days, some people called it Bombingham because it was, Martin Luther King described it as the most thoroughly segregated city in America. This was under, you know, George Wallace was the governor of Alabama in those years. There had been, I think, 500 bombings in Birmingham between 1947 and 1972, racially motivated to intimidate, to terrorize, to make sure that there was segregation, you know, now and forever, in the words of, of Governor George Wallace. He was wrong. Thank you, Jesus. And, uh, and not one of those crimes was ever solved. So what did God do? So Hank Irwin, this, this kid comes, young man comes 
and he's praying where he should go because he, he wanted to be a sports chaplain. So he goes to Woodland High. He meets the head coach, the head football coach, and, and he says, I came to preach to your, I came to preach to your team. He goes, oh, you gotta be kidding. Ignores him. He's persistent. He says, okay, okay, you're driving me crazy. I'll give you five minutes. And he goes in to speak to the team. They're, they're all divided. You know, it's just like they were, it was segregated. Now they're forcing integration and nobody's happy. Uh, and uh, the teams, they're having fistfights with each other. And so he says, okay, you got five minutes. And he leaves. And he comes back after a long time. And he sees the whole team, except for a few, you know, two or three, his whole team and his assistant coach have given their lives to Jesus. And he just walks in, he says to the coach, what is this? He said, well, we all just gave our lives to Jesus. You know, and so he's like, oh, great. You know, it's it's like, and so, but within a few weeks, he sees the transformation, the testimony, and, and a few weeks later into the football season, he and his, he brings his family to this black Baptist church, a young black running back named Tony, 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 Nathan, Tony Nathan, who later played for the Miami Dolphins and uh, stuff. But he's, he's one of his team. He's so impressed by his life and the transformation in the team. He brings his family to this black Baptist church. They, this preacher stops his sermon. He says, can we help you? He says, I would like to say something. Would that be permitted? Yes, come up. And he says, he says look, I was, I was not a believer, but I've watched what's happening, and I've watched what's happening to these young men. There's like five of the team that's in this church. He said, now I believe, and I want to be baptized. So he was baptized that morning in this Baptist church in Birmingham, Alabama. It went on. And anyway, the whole team's transformed. Uh, they, all, they, they start winning every game until the last game. They lose the last game. And, uh, but this, the fire is spreading, and it spreads all over the city. And, and the other team, the rival team that was very arrogant toward them, they start getting saved. And the coach of that team, his name was Shorty White, uh, who later coached with... Uh, Bear Bryant at, at Alabama, um, he, he goes to this tent meeting with his players just to keep an eye on them, like, and he gets saved. So now they're all saved, and they're, they meet together, and they end up at the end of the season, uh, once again, they're playing together. But the remarkable thing against each other, the, the remarkable thing is that the entire city was touched. And when these two high schools that year, 1974, are playing in this uh, stadium, the Legion Stadium, in there, 42,000 people came to watch a high school football game. And the police estimate 20,000 were waiting to get in and, and, and couldn't get in. And on top of that, they all prayed. The whole stadium prayed. There were Jesus signs, everybody. They played a great game, and all these kids went on to change history. And the remarkable thing is all of these people, the main players and the coaches served the Lord the rest of their life. Jesus came, and what is remarkable is you could say the worthy house was this coach who was an unbeliever when it came. The lightning rod, I mean, was this young preacher, but the real testimony was were the players on his team convinced him, and he made room for it, changed the whole city. Now, I don't know, you know, if, if it, like, these come in seasons, they're visitations. 
Thank you, Jesus. Okay, let's go back to California, 1980. So that's 1973. This is spread all over. Millions of people came in through the Jesus movement. 1980, Lonnie Frisbee's back in Orange County with our friend John Rutke, and they're, they're visit, trying to visit churches where trying to see where the Lord is moving. Isn't this interesting? Isn't that what God says? Find a place that's worthy. And they decide that Yorba Linda Vineyard is a part of the Calvary Chapel uh, Association is, is meeting. So they are going there. And John Wimber is the pastor. He's a, a Quaker, but very into the gifts of the Spirit and studying church history and stuff. And for, the Lord speaks to him, says to have Lonnie speak on, what, on Mother's Day. So he asked him if he'd like to speak that night. And Lonnie says, yeah. Which then John on the way home said, he's going to wreck my church. And God said, since when has it been your church? And he worries all afternoon, and Carol, his wife, tells him, it's okay, John, it'll be good. So John, Lonnie gets up, gives his testimony, it seems good. John says, what was I worried about? Then he says, the, Holy, the, the church has been grieving the Holy Spirit for years. Everyone under 25 come forward. They come forward, famous word, he says, Holy Spirit come, and the Holy Spirit fell, and they were there for hours speaking in tongues, rolling on the floor. It, John's entire staff quit because even though he taught this stuff, it wasn't being demonstrated, and uh, some of them came back. But, and he was upset, and, and just God spoke to him. He, a friend called him in the morning, said, it's God. It, Carol had been saying, it's God. And so he says, okay. You know, and he's, he's watching what happens. In the next six months, they baptized over 1,500 young people, brand new believers. There was, there was revival spread throughout the world. To, I mean, and, and so they carried the supernatural. John went to South Africa with Lonnie and, and Europe and all these places. And in each case, Lonnie was just the lightning rod. He wasn't the man of peace. He wasn't the, the prepared house. The prepared house, in this case, was John and Carol or not. Fast forward, Wimber, which fast forwards to 1994. There was a lightning rod named Randy Clark, who was a, a, a vineyard pastor who was after more, more, more. He was a Baptist in a vineyard, more, 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 and, and the Holy Spirit was coming. Rodney Howard Brown came. He was a lightning rod. And he got touched, but he carried it further. John Arnott hears about it, invites him up to speak at the, at the Toronto airport. He said, I only have three messages. You know? And uh, so he came and the Holy Spirit fell, January 1994. And John and Carol Arnott, same as John and Carol Wimber, John and Carol Arnott, made a decision, we're going to host this. And so the, the, it was like they were worthy, they were prepared, they were appropriate, they weren't perfect, they were appropriate to steward something that impacted the whole world, how has it impacted us. Uh, September 1994, Ann and I went up to visit because somebody, uh, a friend of ours had been touched and I said, what's happened to you? He says, you ever heard of Toronto? And I said, no, but I'm gonna go. Because, and we went there and it came back with us. And then, and all our friends, Heidi Baker, Bill Johnson, Cheon, Joseph Garlington, all got slammed by what God was doing in Toronto, and it has spread all over the world. And Randy uh, is here in our city. Randy had moved here. The rest is history. You know, you know the story. Global awakening has reached to the nations. It, by the George and Banoff, same thing. Touched by that Toronto. It, actually first touched by Rodney Howard Brown, but carried it all over the world. But I'm just saying, how, God is looking for households 
that are appropriate for the Holy Spirit to come. He's looking for partners. In the words of Reinhard Bonnke, <laughs> he's looking for partners. His eyes are running to and fro over the face of the earth, looking for those whose hearts are toward him that he can, he can show himself strong. So I just feel like we're in this season that we, I mean, we want God to visit us personally, but we, much more than that, we want to host him. And we want to host him, one, as a, as a, a church, which we, we've been wor- doing our, our best, which sometimes is doing nothing and trying not to get in the way, to do this for, you know, 20, 25 years, n- pretty much nonstop. And, uh, but how about you? How about your house? How about your your business, your marriage, your family, is there room, is it prepared for the Holy Spirit to come? And because, you know, I'm just, I can only touch on some like big stories, but there's a million smaller stories that are absolutely as significant embedded in each one of these stories of the transformation of households and families and the changing of destinies and the, the, the coming home of prodigals and the the total change of things that we're stuck in and the impression that, that the negative view of everything that we just realize where God is, nothing's impossible. So how many want, why don't we stand up? Please. How many say, God, I want to be ready. I want to be prepared. I want to welcome your messengers when they come and make room for the lightning rods who totally mess up <laughs> everything we had planned. Because that's what, I mean, this is the message of the kingdom of God. It doesn't come like we expect it. It doesn't come in a way we can observe. It's in our midst and where it pops up, only God actually knows what he's going to do next. How many say, God, I, want, I, I just want to be there. I want to be ready. I want to be available. I want to make my home a place that's ready for your presence. I don't want to be, I want to clean out the idols. I want to clean up the stuff that, that distracts and keeps me occupied. I want, to, I want to make myself available that you can use me. Because here's the thing, he's given you authority. He's given you authority to declare the kingdom of heaven, to disciple nations, to lay hands on the sick that they'd be healed. God, thank you. Thank you. Sometimes we focus on what we want from God and God knows all our needs. But Jesus said, if you'll seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, everything else will find its place. All these things will be added to you. Just raise your hand if you say, God, I want to be, I want to have a house of peace. I want to have a place that's ready. And I'm not going to blame anybody. I'm just going to prepare myself. Do you understand? Your wife, your kids, your husband, your job, your boss, the government, nobody can stop you from being ready to receive the kingdom of heaven when it comes. 
disappointments, setbacks, financial attacks. In this world, you'll have tribulation. Be of good cheer. Be of good cheer. Take courage. I've overcome already. And I'm going to bring the kingdom of heaven into your life and into your church. So God, you look out, you see every hand that's raised, you see every heart that's yearning. And we say, come here, come to our city. Come here, come to this place, come to every church in this city, God. We're not trying to hold it in. We're not trying to make it a a thing, God. We want you, we want Jesus, we want you to be exalted. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I know, I know your hearts are, are toward the Lord. If you want, you can come forward. But I also, I'm just declaring over you, lift your hands up. If you're born again, if you've had the Holy Spirit, if you've never been baptized in the Holy Spirit, come up today and we'll get We'll, we'll pray with you because Jesus is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. But he's given you spiritual gifts. Your hands are anointed. When you pray, God hears. When you lay your hands on the sick, they'll be healed. You might not see 100% healed. Keep praying, keep praying, keep praying, and you'll see healings. Keep declaring, keep declaring, keep sharing the good news of the kingdom and of the name of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Release a new wave, a new wave of your power, of your presence, and we ask you, we ask you to send the lightning rods to our city and find us a house that's ready and appropriate and available. God, we wanna see it. They might be here in our midst, God. We wanna recognize what you're doing. In Jesus' name, can you say amen? Amen. So there's a few things I want to do here. And one is, uh, if you have little children, I'm sure they're getting lonely for you. So we bless you and release you. You can bring them back. The other is, if you don't know Jesus, if you've just been hanging around, coming around, being drawn, today's the day. Today's the day, the day of salvation. Don't wait for tomorrow, don't wait for a better time. Just come up here and say, I need Jesus. Come up here and say, I wanna know him, I wanna be filled with him, I don't wanna play games, I'm not messing around, I'm giving up my sin, I wanna be set free. Come forward, come come and meet him. Come and Come up here, there are people to pray for you that'll say, what are you here for? Say, I'm here to meet Jesus. And again, I invite you, if you need healing, come forward. There's healing, there's deliverance. All these things are here. And some of you, maybe you just want to come and be in the presence of God. We're just going to take time for that. And listen, it's not about someone laying hands on you. It's about you meeting with Jesus. So Holy Spirit, would you come and keep coming and fill our homes with hunger and thirst? for the kingdom of God. In Jesus' name, amen.